0: I should probably start by saying hi, y'all. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, I don't. I don't say it even now. Um, how are we? Yeah. We good? Good. It's good to uh, good to be with you. Good to see you. Uh, good to be back with you. If you're uh, new in the last eight months, and I'm RD, and uh, I used to be on staff here, and uh, for a couple years, and it was great. We loved it. Uh, and then God, yeah, called us down to Knoxville where I'm from, uh, and just doing some awesome things down there. And, uh, I mean, I've been here for a couple of days now and, uh, it's been really, really good. Uh, and here's what I, people, you know, asking how is, uh, Knoxville and I say, it's great. It's amazing. I love my job, love the church. And at this, at the same time, you know, we, we miss, uh, things here and people here and both, you know, both those things are true. But It's okay for where God calls you to be where he calls you, and therefore still sometimes for it to hurt and be grieving. And especially we drove past our old house uh, the other night, and that was probably a mistake. And uh, <laughs> Emily, Emily was like, that's our house people are living in. That, that is our house. We are going in that house right now. It's like, no, no we're not going to get arrested before I preach at Door Creek. Um, so it's great, it's, great to be, it's great to be back, and um, really, really good. The girls, the twins are... Uh, still alive. So thanks for your prayers uh, and they get to see my parents every Sunday at church which is great and just to get to be with them and, and so that's a real blessing. Um, so with that um, let's get to work. If you have a Bible you can grab it will be in the book of Job in the unending series in the book of Job. Just kidding this is the final week. This is the final week. Um, Job 42 though we're going to be all over the place it so will be on the screen. Uh, So you may just want to follow along uh, on the screen, unless you just have really fast hands and want to turn everywhere, you can do that uh, too. We're finishing up the life of Job uh, and really the rest of the book in about 32 minutes. So this should be easy and fun. Um, What type, what type of life did you imagine that you would have? How many of us would say that the life we have now is what we imagined our life would be? How many of us would say that this week (laughs) is what we imagined the week would be, right? How, how, How big is the gap between the reality of our life and the expectations that we had for our life? And the older we get, the more it grows, right? There's not really a day where you say, finally. This is it. This is what I wanted. I finally, I finally got to the gap. It just grows and grows and grows between the life that we have and the life that maybe we thought we could have, the life that we wanted, or the dreams that we had, or all of these things. And that's true for Job, Job too. Because imagine the reality of his life versus the expectations that he had for his life. If someone would have come to him and say, Job, here's the plan. It's going to start out really well. Lots of cows and sheep and family and all these things gonna be great and then it's all gonna be taken away from you so that's gonna be the plan Joe would probably be like I I love that first part (laughs) that first part sounds great why is the second part what's going on there right that's probably not what he would want but he is someone who got something far better than the life of his dreams he got to see the Lord And that's far better than the greatest vision you have for your life coming true is to see God face to face. And that's his story. As he finishes out, uh, the writer talks about uh, Job's life. And we see that Job gets something more than he could ever imagine. And we'll start off, though, in Job 29. It'll be on the screen. And here, here Job is talking about the life he used to have. And this is what he says. He's going nostalgic here. And you can't blame him. He says how I long for the months gone by Job 29 for the days when God watched over me, when his lamp shone on my head and by his light, I walked through darkness over the days when I was in my prime literally in the Hebrew, the word for prime there means my autumn years and autumn is the time right before the harvest. And so the crops are at their peak. They're at their full potential. They're at their most ripe. That's what autumn means. He's saying I was at my peak in my life, my prime, my autumn years when God's intimate friendship blessed my house when the almighty was still with me, when my children were around me, when my path was drenched with cream and the rock poured out for me streams of olive oil. I was eyes to the blind and feet to the lame and I was a father to the needy. When I smiled at them, the people, they scarcely believed it. The light of my face was precious to them. Here Job is lamenting the life that he used to have, which all of us do from time to time, right? He remembers before, he remembers before. Before, 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 when things were better, when things were good, when he had God's friendship, uh, when he um, had his children, and he remembers, and he says, "I, I long for those days, the glory days, the good old days, when things were at peace, before all of this hell happened. Those were the days." He says, I, I was eyes to the blind and feet to the lame. I cared about justice, and I cared about the poor and the marginalized. I was doing all of these good things. And he says at the end, uh, somewhat self-indulgently, when I smiled at people, they scarcely believed it. The light <laughs> of my face was precious to them, right? Which maybe is a bit high view of yourself. But he's saying that my, my presence brought people joy and made people glad. And all of us right in our life, we can look back and say, those were the days. If I could just get back to that day to that moment before this thing happened. Oh, man. But now, now look where I am. And here, Job, he's going to talk about the expectations he had for his life, not just the life that he lost, but the life he thought he was going to have. In Job 29:18 through 20, he says this. He says, I thought, which is always an indication of expectations. I thought I will die in my own house. My days as numerous as the grains of sand, my roots will reach out to the water and the dew will lie all night on my branches. My glory will not fade. The bow will ever be new in my hand. I thought I was going to have a good life. It started off so amazing. And then God took it away from me. All right, Job 30, the next chapter, he just lays it out there in such just stark, honest terms. He says, and now my life ebbs away. Days of suffering grip me. Night pierces my bones. My gnawing pains never rest. In his great power, God becomes like clothing to me, but not good clothing. He binds me like the neck of my garment. He throws me into the mud, and I am reduced to dust and ashes. I cry out to you, God, but you do not. Answer, And for 38 chapters in the book of Job, 37 chapters, we have God completely silent and over and over and over again, Job says, Lord, will you just answer me? Will you just speak to me? In Job 25, he says, if I could just find out where the Lord is, maybe I could speak to him and talk to him and he would hear from me. But he is silent. He is quiet. Does he not know what's happening to me? He sends me these three knucklehead friends who are not helping me at all, (laughs) right? These guys are idiots. Right, who are claiming to speak for God and telling lies, which sometimes people do when we suffer because they wanna be helpful, but they're actually just hurtful. And he's saying, this is what you're giving me, God? And in, in the Bible says Job was without sin. He was a righteous man. And so he's thinking, me, this is happening to me. Why won't you answer me, God? Where can I find you? You're lost to me, you're in a fog and I'm in a fog. I, my days are spent in suffering suffering, and pain, and misery. The gap between expectations and reality is often where suffering can sting the most. This is the life I thought I had. And then he begins to wonder, why am I suffering? Job 31, he says this, he says, I made a covenant with my eyes, not to look lustfully at a young woman. For what is our lot from God above, our heritage from the Almighty on high? Is it not ruin for the wicked, disaster for those who do wrong? Does he not see my ways and count my every step? And What Job is saying here, he's saying, I was sexually pure. And earlier he says, I cared for the poor. People love being around me. I made people glad. And then he says, is not ruin for the wicked? Is not God's judgment for those who don't follow the law, for those who don't care about the poor, for the sexually immoral? I thought they got the hammer of God. Why have I got the hammer of God? And I feel like I'm the nail all the time and God just keeps pounding me. I'm doing all of these things. Right? Does God not see my steps? Is God blind to me? Does he not see my ways and count my every step? I'm pure. I'm blameless. I thought suffering came for the bad people, not for people trying to live the way of God. In the next chapter, we get some commentary from the writer of Job, but the writer says this, Job 32, 1 and 2. It says, so these three men stopped answering Job, his friends, because he was righteous in his own eyes. But Elihu became very angry with Job for justifying himself rather than God. And there the writer gives us a clue into Job's mindset where he is trying, in a sense, to justify who he is apart from being justified by God, right? Building himself up by what he's done, even though he has done good things. He's done amazing things more things than probably any of us will ever do. And yet still lurking within his heart, he's looking at his own eyes, his own heart and saying, I am righteous, this should not happen to me. And over and over again, he's crying out to God, he's yelling out to God, he's angry with God, he's weeping before God and God remains absolutely silent. It's like when the disciples are in the boat with Jesus and the storm comes on the Sea of Galilee and Jesus is asleep and they're thinking, how is this possible? How, like this, this storm, this hurricane is basically raging on the sea of God. How are you asleep? And oftentimes, right, we can think that Jesus is asleep in the storms of our life. That he just doesn't really care about it, doesn't want to be bothered by it. And no doubt Job is thinking, Lord, I've heard about you. I know things about you. I, I know that you do care, but I can't seem to square who I thought you were with what's happening in my life right now. And all of us have been there. And if we haven't been there, we will be there. And if we won't be there at some point, we know people who have been there, who are walking through it right now, who are wondering the reality and the expectations gap is growing and growing and growing. And some people walk away from Christianity because of that, a lot of people do. So Job keeps crying out and yelling, lamenting, he's angry. And finally in Job 38, God speaks. Boy, does he speak. (laughs) Buckle up. This is what God says. After 37 chapters of silence, of all the things God could say, here's what he says. Then the Lord spoke to God out of the storm, which is how God always comes, right? In the whirlwind, in the storm, in power and glory. He said, who is this that obscures my plans with words without knowledge? Brace yourself like a man. I will question you, and you shall answer me. Where were you when I laid the earth's foundations, Job? Tell me if you understand who marked off its dimension. Surely you know who stretched a measuring line across it or what were its footing set on what were its footing set or who laid its cornerstone while the morning stars sang together and all the angels shouted for joy. Have you journeyed to the springs of the sea or walked in the recesses of the deep? Have the gates of death been shown to you? Have you seen the gates of the deepest darkness? Have you comprehended the vast expanses of the earth? Tell me if you know all of the this. That's verses 1 through 7 and then 17 and 18 in chapter 38. And you go through the next ch- three chapters and you see God just is unrelenting in attacking Job. He talks about, I made the eagles, and he talks about I made an ostrich, and I made right these little bunnies. And he doesn't say that, but he's just talking about all <laughs> the things that he has, that he has made, right? The stars, the galaxies, the creation. Look at all that I have made. And over and over and over again. At one point in Job chapter 40, Job finally says, Literally, he says, I should never have said anything. And God's like, I'm not done yet, right? <laughs> I'm still going. And you're like, God, did you, did you not take your Xanax this morning? Like, why, why are you so angry? And I remember the first couple of times that I read this through, you're reading through the book of Job, and you're seeing all this immense suffering and pain. And what you're thinking is that God will respond in complete gentleness. And he'll say, Job, I understand I'm walking with you through it. I'll be there for you, right? Here's, the, here's just some scripture for you to uh, remember, right? You're thinking God will come in that way. Instead, God comes like, bam. And Job is like, <laughs> oh, wow, 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 wow. And so just verse after verse, after verse, after verse. Now, how does Job respond to all of that in the final chapter of Job? This is how, this is how Job responds. Then Job replied to the Lord, Chapter 42, verses 1 through 6. Then Job replied to the Lord, I know you can do all things. No purpose of yours can be thwarted. You asked, who is this that obscures my plans without knowledge? Surely I spoke of things I did not understand, things too wonderful for me to know. You said, listen now, and I will speak. I will question you, and you shall answer me. Verse 5 is key. My ears had heard of you, but now my eyes have seen you. Therefore, I despise myself and repent in dust and ashes." Now, how can he respond like that? Because he got the thing that he most longed for, which is an encounter with the living God himself. He got God unleashed. He got to hear from God himself. And what does God say throughout all the things he said? Well, first thing is, it's a grace that God even speaks to Job, right? God doesn't owe us anything. That's like how we start with our assumption of what God owes us, right? God doesn't owe us anything in life. Everything he gives to us is by grace, everything. He doesn't owe us health or kids or a home or a good life he doesn't owe us any of that and in his grace he answers Job and yeah he comes on hard but he gives Job what Job needs which is God in full and then you know what it gives Job it gives Job peace because he doesn't get the empty platitudes of his knucklehead friends right he doesn't get like some verse on a coffee cup here you go right God has plans to prosper you okay for the love, right? Just quick note on Jeremiah 29, 11. It's written to people in exile, right? It's written to people who are suffering in exile, right? So you have to know context of verses before we just start throwing them out to people. God, God is saying, Job, I put the stars in the sky. I take care of the deer. You can trust me you can trust me look at everything that you can see and even things you can't see you can trust me will you will you look at the stars just just watch just watch an ostrich right and I this is crazy but I happened to be I was doing this passage and there's a whole section on on the ostrich somewhere in here I can't remember but uh, God talks about it um, for like a weird amount. Yeah, verse, th- this is just extra right here. This the Holy Spirit speaking right now on ostrich. <laughs> it says, the wings of the ostrich, this is verse 13 of chapter 39, the wings of the ostrich flap joyfully, though they cannot compare with the wings and feather of the stork. So right there, God says the stork is better than the ostrich, okay? <laughs> what? <laughs> And then verse 17, talking about the the ostrich, for God did not endow her with wisdom or give her a share of good sense, right? Ostriches, idiots, okay? (laughs) This is from the word of God, okay? Yet when she spreads her feathers to run, she laughs at the horse and her rider, so faster than a horse, okay? And you're reading through this, and you're thinking, there's part of you that's thinking, what does this have to do with anything, right? God's telling that he made a dumb animal. It's like, what, what is going on here? This is absolutely pointless. And yet, right, what you see is that he's talking about the ostrich that he made and cared for and knows everything about the intricacies and the details of this weird, crazy-looking animal. And I was actually watching something like early, yesterday day before, National Geographic, and there were all the things, of course, in God's sovereignty, there was an ostrich-like documentary on. And before... I would have just skipped it because I would have been like, this is absolutely pointless, right? This, <laughs> why would I watch this? And yet, you know what actually happened? This is crazy. I, I was watching it and I stopped and I saw all these just animals all she was running together and I just had a moment where I actually stopped and said, Lord, look like you made that animal. You know, every, the feathers on the, you know everything about her. Everything about her. And you know me and love me even more and watching those animals, it actually made me worship. Jesus says in the Sermon on the Mount, he said, do you see how your father takes care of the birds of the air? And are you not more valuable than they? Why are you so anxious? Do you not know I hung the stars in the galaxies and I hold your heartbeat in my hand? Will you trust me? Will you trust me? God gives us himself. He gives us himself, and that's what we need, to not just have our ears hear about God, but to have our eyes eyes behold him. And suffering is the entry point to a true relationship with God. You cannot get intimacy with God without suffering. That is the way it goes. People say, I want to know God more. I want to feel God's presence more. Well, I know what's going to happen then. Because there's knowing about God, and then there's knowing God. There's knowing about parenting. And then there's having a child (laughs) or two children if you're truly sinful, right, (laughs) for example. And there are moments when the girls are really young. And I I remember one time, this was fairly serious at this point, because it was a dark place. And I thought, couldn't we just like put them somewhere for like a year and a half? And then when they go through all the crying and all, and then like get them back when they're just talking and better and all that stuff, right? You know, I'm partly kidding, partly serious so that you guys know, have you but you know, like you know. And now the girls are with three and a half um, July 1st. And you know what? The love I have for them now is shaped by all the suffering. <laughs> <laughs> it's shaped by those first nine months in a year I would not love them as much, right? If we didn't walk through that together, right? There's knowing about marriage and there's being married, (laughs) right? And walking through the fire with someone. The things that I've grown the most within my wife in five and a half years are through the hard things. The good times are never gonna reveal where you are. You can put on the mask, you can do whatever you want. It's suffering that reveals where you are with the Lord that reveals what your God is, what you're trusting in, what your hope is. And God will bring anything into our life that we would only trust in him. Anything he brings into our life is for our good. And anything he doesn't bring into our life, we do not need. We do not need. Do you believe that God is good and God is wise? Will you be able to rejoice even in suffering? Even as you walk through the suffering, Job, Job has an experience with God and he says, God, These things are too wonderful for me. And he worships because worship is not a feeling. It's a choice. It's a choice. If you don't feel like it, still worship. Your feelings will catch up to your act. If you don't feel like you're in love with your spouse, love your spouse anyway. Right? Because as C.S. Lewis says, Though our feelings for God come and go, his feelings for us do not. Right? We live our lives on sand. <laughs> but God's love is concrete. Never changing. Impenetrable. Not affected by how we feel about him. And that's why Job could worship. He could say, my ears had heard of you, Lord, but now my eyes have seen you and I have peace. I have peace. So four just quick, quick thoughts on on suffering and, and the book of Job that I hope are helpful. Um, number one is this. Suffering comes for everyone. And it comes at the autumn of your life. It comes sometimes when you're at your prime and your peak. Uh, it doesn't matter how healthy you are, how wealthy you are, how put together you are, how many Bible studies you've done. Doesn't matter It doesn't matter who you are. Suffering doesn't care. It'll come for you the phone will ring and your life, it'll change. Just two, two weeks ago, three weeks ago, got a call from my mom, eight o'clock in the morning, which is unusual because usually we text right back and forth and she lives 20 minutes away. And so she called, I'm getting ready to go to work, you know, just a normal, normal Wednesday. And she calls and when she, you've been there before, when I pick up the phone, I can tell, right, I can tell. She's just like, RD? And I was like, what? Just through tears and she's like hey your dad he just he just passed out we're going to the hospital right now i'm getting the ambulance could you could you just pray and just kind of had to hang up the phone and so i'm just sitting there and like like my whole day before me just totally changed right i wasn't expecting it everything was fine and my dad ended up spending a week in the hospital had some serious things ended up being okay and and he's doing well and doing better now And it was just great that we could be there for him and go see him but there, there was there was a day there where it was it was it was things were dicey, and my mom was just just a wreck. And you know what we did? We just spent time praying. Right? You need to be prepared for the moment when the phone rings. You don't you don't need to be unprepared. Was I still devastated? Yeah. But was I absolutely crushed? No. Why? Because I know the Lord. I know He's good. I know He loves my dad more than I love him. And if He wants to take him, then he can, because he's his. Do I want him to? No. <laughs> but it's God's world, not mine. And it's only, it only enslaves us to try and hold on to things which aren't ours to hold on to. We must give them to the Lord, because suffering comes for everybody. Emily and I just had uh, dinner with a girl at our house. She's a young adult in our ministry. Di- diagnosed with brain cancer in October. Aggressive form of brain cancer. Probably is not going to live long. She's 26 years old. And what she said, she said, R.D., I was the healthiest I'd ever been in my whole life. And the next week I got diagnosed with brain cancer. Autumn of her life, right? Autumn of suffering comes for everyone. And you know what, There there are no easy answers to it. When people try and sell you easy answers, just run away from them right? And sometimes Christians can be guilty of this. Well, we, we want to be helpful, right? God has a plan. God will, he will never, and just don't say those things, right? Just listen and be present, right? Just, just suffer with those who suffer. Don't try and fix things, right? I'm a fix-it person. A lot of pastors are. That's why we get in the pastoral ministry right? Easy for us to be Jesus to people instead of letting Jesus be Jesus to people. And so it's something I'm always working on. And when we moved to Tennessee, uh, the first three, four months, you know, it's still hard. We're very hard because we uprooted out of our life here, lost, we, we lost everything, right? Um, that we built for five years in some relationships. And um, you know, my wife took it even harder than me. And I just, the few, first few months was trying to fix her and help her be happy, right? And so I'd I'd email a few of the friends she'd met and say, hey, could you ask Emily out to coffee? I think that'd really help her. (laughs) And what I'm seeing there is sermon illustration coming at some point from that. Like, that's just guaranteed, Lord, guaranteed. And so then someone emailed her and she was like, did you tell them to have coffee with me? It's like, why wouldn't you want that? I'm just trying to help you in your suffering and pain and grief, right? I'm trying to fix it for you, right? That's how it works. Yeah right. So, <laughs> she was like, "I don't like. I don't want you to fix it. I don't want you to fix it. I just kept trying to fix it. I want to be because she's happy. I'm happy, and this was all the right thing to do, right? <laughs> because grief, grief can even just loss. It, just, it doesn't have to be the most devastating thing in the world. It can just be the loss of someone moving away, right? A, a, um, a child going to college, or or um, just you name it. And as I was processing through that, the Lord just spoke to me. And he said, RD, here's the deal. It's okay for my will to make you sad, right? You can give glory to God and it can still hurt. And I just shared that with Emily and we had a great conversation and that just had really marked me and said, instead of saying God's will, so I'm just gonna be so happy and it's just cause it's his will. There's nothing that says God's will can't make you sad. Now you don't wanna stay sad forever. But sometimes you just say, Lord, this just stinks, but I know this is what you want. Now, that's big league. (laughs) That's big league faith that takes time cultivating and cultivating and cultivating. Don't try and fix it. And last thing on point one, point one C, is (laughs) don't be afraid to come at God hard. He can handle you. He can handle your crying. He can handle your yelling. He can handle your lamenting. There's a whole book in the Bible called Lamentations that I'm fairly certain God knows is in the Bible and is intentionally in there so we can know we are people who lament. All right? Don't be afraid to yell at God, to get angry with God. He can ha- in fact, he wants it. He'd rather have that than you just pretend and just put your feelings beneath the surface and say, God, I'm angry. Because, right, Job gets angry, he tears his clothes, he's he's absolutely upset, and yet the Bible says he was without sin. It's amazing. It is not a sign of lack of faith if you get upset or angry with God. In fact, it's probably the sign you actually have a relationship with him. That's what it's probably a sign of. It's actually like a real relationship where you get angry. God, what are you doing? I still sometimes say, God, and I know, I know theologically what's gonna happen. I still, Lord, why? And sometimes he says, why? And sometimes he says, you're not gonna know until one day. And then you'll know, right? Don't be afraid. God wants you, he wants your honesty. That's a real relationship. Number two, suffering is an invitation to trust God with your life or with the life of a loved one. Suffering is an invitation to trust God with your life. As so I said before, suffering's is going to expose where you are. Suffering is, is a gift that God gives you. It really is. Where you're going to become more like Christ in that season than you will through anything else. And he, he, he gives you suffering to steward it for his glory. Now, isn't that a crazy thought? A counterintuitive thought to how our culture thinks. I want to get away from something No, God says suffering is a gift you steward for my glory and for your good. And if you have true faith, you will see that doesn't mean you're not going to cry or be upset. Charles Spurgeon has this great quote where the sermon title comes from. He says this, he says, I've learned to kiss the waves that throw me against the rock of ages. I've learned to kiss the waves that throw me against the rock of ages because it's a good rock. Right, Suffering is not a detour in the story of your life. It is the story God always had for your life. And look at me. No part of your story is wasted. No part of it is wasted. Because you know what God does through all of our stories is he redeems them. Even in the darkest of hells, there is redemption. There is redemption. And so will you say to whatever God's bringing in your life, Lord, I don't understand, but I trust you. And God says to us, will you trust me? Will you like really trust me? Will you really trust me? Number three, suffer in light of our suffering savior. Suffer in light of Jesus Christ, the ultimate Job. You know what? We don't just need an example of how to suffer well. If all we had was Job, would not be helpful, right? I get angry when I stub my toe, right? When someone cuts me off, right? God, why, (laughs) right? (laughs) Unjust is the world, right, when they cut me off trying to go to Target because I have to get there, okay? That's me. And so if the answer is be like Job, that's not good enough. We don't just need an example. We need someone who gives us a power to face suffering because Job didn't suffer for you. He didn't even know you. But Jesus Christ suffered for you, and he knew everything about you. Isaiah 53 talks about Jesus this way. He says, Who has believed our message and to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? He grew up before him like a tender shoot and like a root out of dry ground. He had no beauty, Jesus. He had no beauty or majesty to attract us to him. Nothing in his appearance that we should desire him. He was despised and rejected by mankind, a man of suffering and familiar with pain, like one with whom people hid their faces. He was despised, and we held him in low esteem. Surely he took up our pain and bore our suffering, yet we considered him punished by God, stricken by him and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions, he was crushed for our iniquities, and the punishment that brought us peace was on him, and by his wounds we are healed. The other gods were strong, but thou wast weak. By right, Jesus Christ, he... He stumbled to the throne and the only God in the universe that has wounds is Jesus. He suffered for you in your place. People say, how can a loving God allow um, bad things to happen to a good person? And the answer to that is that only happened one time and it was on the cross. On the cross. And the only way that you and I can face our suffering is by looking into the face of Jesus and seeing the one who walked through the furnace for us. So we know when we walk through it, he holds our hand. He's right there with us. That's love. Job says, where can I find God? If I could just find him, maybe he would speak to me. And the New Testament says he's on the cross. That's where he is. Look at him bleeding there in front of all the people mocking him. Save yourself, they say save yourself. And Jesus says, well, then you can't be saved. Tim Keller puts it this way. He says, look at Jesus. He was perfect, right? And yet he goes around crying all the time. He's always weeping, a man of sorrows. Do you know why? Because he is perfect. Because when you're not all absorbed in yourself, you can feel the sadness of the world. And therefore what you actually have is that joy of the Lord happens inside sorrow It doesn't come after the sorrow. It doesn't come after the uncontrollable weeping. The weeping drives you into the joy. It enhances the joy. And then the joy enables you to actually feel your grief without it sinking you. In other words, you are finally emotionally healthy. There is nothing in the human experience that God himself has not experienced as well. Even losing a child. He's experienced it all. And when you see Jesus' resurrected body, he still has scars. He still has scars. And so that sustains us because even our scars will turn out for glory because the story's not over yet. Scars don't have the final word. And that's the final point. Suffering will be followed up by glory. Suffering will be swallowed up by glory. We get a t- Job gets a taste of it at the end of Job 42, where he gets so much of his stuff back, right? This redemption that comes at, at the end, he gets a taste of it, but not in full. Not in full, right? The autumn of his life, it's struck down. And then he goes through the winter of his life. But what comes after winter? Even in Wisconsin. <laughs> right, spring. Spring always follows winter. Resurrection always follows Good Friday. New heaven and new earth will follow this. Philip Yancey says, faith is believing in advance what will only make sense in reverse. See Christianity offers you not just consolation for the things you've lost, it offers you restoration. It doesn't just offer you, well, here, here's, here's a prize at the end. I know it was tough, but you get to go to heaven now. No, you get it all back, your loved ones, the good things, the beauty, Seeing Christ face to face, don't you know that when you stare at the face of Jesus in the new heaven or new earth, you will want for nothing. You will know I missed nothing in life. Didn't have the marriage you wanted, so what? Didn't have the life you wanted. You know what? In the new heaven and the new earth, you'll get the life you never dreamed of, that you could never achieve for yourself. And Jesus gives it to you. He gives it to you. And he says, this is your home. I'm going to wipe away all the tears. They weren't worthless. They were meaningful. Suffering will be swallowed up by glory. It's restoration. It's the renewal of all things. Revelation 21 and 22 is the picture that we long for. Jesus gives it to us. Everything you lost, you will get back, but it'll be even more glorious and you can't see it now. But we are people who live in the reality of the future, even in the present. That's what it means to be Christians. We know where the world is going, and we're faithful now. That, that's what we have to be as a church. We know where the world is headed. We know where it's headed, man. When you see his face, what a moment! Second Corinthians four sixteen and seventeen. I'll close with this: Therefore, we do not lose heart, church. Therefore, you do not lose heart. Though outwardly we are wasting away, yet inwardly we are being renewed day by day by day by day with new mercy every morning. For our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. So we fix our eyes not on what is seen, but on what is unseen. Since what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. That we would be a people who not only heard about the Lord, but have seen his face. And that we could say to the Lord, Lord, I learned to kiss The waves that threw me against the rock of ages. That's Job's story. And it can be our story as well. Let me pray for us. Father, I'm so thankful the book of Job is in the scriptures. I'm so thankful that the Bible is not a book about good people that have easy lives. But broken people that blow it. And yet you redeem. I could find myself at home there. Father, I know for all of us, we are walking through through different things. Maybe right now in this moment, suffering is strong right in the furnace. Maybe that time is coming. Lord, would you prepare us? Would you prepare us? Would we always remember that you walked through the fire for us? So when we go through that fire ourselves, you're with us. You're with us. And that we could be like Job, a people who've seen you face to face, who've encountered you, and that might fortify us for whatever comes into our life. We love you, Lord. We're more grateful that you love us and that you're never sleeping on the throne and everything you're doing is for a good purpose in the end. We believe it, Lord. Help our unbelief. In the name of Jesus Christ, and all God's people said, amen.